Neighborhood Satellite Podcast. It's been a long time, but we're finally back. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, and I apologize for the long break. It was not intentional, but as a lot of you know, I'm a football coach, and from August through the beginning of December, I am basically a non-existent zombie of a human being, as football sucks up so much of my time and energy in addition to trying to be a good father and husband. So my intention was to kind of pick back up with the podcast after football season ended. However, we then moved and we've spent the last four or five weeks of our life trying to get resituated. Me getting a new studio set up and adjusting to life in this new house. But now that that's done, I'm hoping to resume this podcast on a bi-weekly basis. So do it about twice a month until summer hits where I hope to resume doing weekly podcasts again and as I learn and get more content I may be able to resume weekly podcasts earlier than that but either way expect to get one of these roughly every two weeks sometime between Sunday and Wednesday of the week and that's what we'll be doing for the foreseeable future so for the handful of you that have been enjoying it and encouraging me to do this thank you I'm back on it (laughs) so I wanted to share with you some stuff that I've been learning from studying the book of John I've been participating in the leadership team in the FCA at my high school. I got right back into that. Uh, after doing it for 13 years, I took a couple of years off, and now I'm back into it. Um, so, McBay, if you hear this, thanks. Um, we've been going through the book of John, and I've been learning a lot, like getting a whole lot out of that. Diving into some stuff that I never really understood, found a really good commentary called the Enduring Word Commentary. It's an online one. And instead of the author just providing their own commentary, they provide their thoughts and then go and pull thoughts from a lot of other commentaries and add them into their notes to try to form a more cohesive, a more cohesive picture of what the text is saying. That's been really beneficial for me. So if that's one you're interested in, enduring word commentary is one that's been a great tool for me. So I'll be sharing a few things that we've been gleaning out of John. And one of the things I wanted to share is something I read a couple weeks ago in John 15. It's a passage that a lot of you will be familiar with. But it really hit me in a different way recently. And it's the passage at the beginning of John 15 about Jesus being the true vine and God being the vine dresser. So I'm going to read it to you from the NASB and then I wanted to share a few quick thoughts. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me. And I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself and must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I am him bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and remain in his love. So what really tripped me up about this passage was, when I originally was reading it, it wasn't in the NASB translation. And every time you heard the word remain, it was replaced with the word abide. And the word abide was a word that just I got stuck on. I was like, what does this mean? Like, I know what the word means, but in the context of what Jesus is saying, what does it mean? And so, of course, the NASB simplifies it 
by simply replacing abide with the word remain. And when I went and looked it up on Blue Letter Bible in the Strong's Concordance, whatever, it turns out that abide just means to dwell or remain. So that kind of simplified some of the text for me. So I'd gotten really stuck on that. But what really struck me once I got past that was a statement that we cannot bear fruit unless we abide in Christ, which seems like a very simple truth that isn't revolutionary. But what got me was thinking about the flip side of that. If I am not bearing fruit, it's an indication that I am not dwelling or remaining in Christ. My fruit is an indication of my proximity to Jesus. That's the part that really, really struck me. So I'm sitting there assessing my own life, and I'm in a season where I really have not felt extraordinarily fruitful. I've worked very hard at coaching football the last few years. I feel like I've been a better coach the last three years than at any point in my career. And it's been the three least successful years of my coaching career on the field, even though I feel like I'm killing it as a coach, but I'm not being fruitful in what we're producing on the field. Um, and even for about a year and a half, I didn't feel like I was fruitful in my relationships with players. So I feel like I was losing on both ends. I have not felt fruitful in my role at my church. Since I stepped down from teaching, after teaching adult Sunday school for 11 years, I stepped aside after the birth of our second child. And I just felt like I don't have a fruitful role in our church. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to serve. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing now because I know that my gift is teaching. And at this moment, I don't have a regular outlet for exercising that gift. So I don't feel as fruitful because that gift is not being exercised regularly. And while those example of my fruitlessness could somewhat be circumstantial, personally, I haven't felt particularly fruitful in my personal walk with God, in my devotional life, in my prayer life, in my worship life. And so what I see is that the lack of fruit in my life horizontally matches the lack of fruit in my life vertically. I don't feel fruitful in the world and I can match that to feeling less fruitful in my personal life with God. The two are inextricably tied together. And that was really just a revolutionary thought of, well, David, it's very hard to be fruitful horizontally if you're not fruitful vertical. It's not impossible because we do know that sometimes God allows people's gifts to operate even in their disobedience. Like you see that again and again in the Old Testament. God gives people these gifts and when they are disobedient, he doesn't take the gift away. But what changes is how they relate to God. So that's the initial thought I had. But then I had to go back in the text and say, wait a minute, David, you're thinking about your fruit as the things that you're doing for the kingdom and the way that you relate to God. But is that what he's even talking about here? And that led me to the question very simply of what fruit should be produced? How do we produce it? And as you're reading this passage, when you hear Jesus talking about fruit, it's very easy to go automatically to the fruit of the spirit talked about in Galatians 5. But this is probably not referring to that because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, hasn't filled His people yet. Pentecost hasn't happened yet because that's after the resurrection. So the fruit here does seem to refer to evidence of being in Christ. Just like He's talked about in other places, a tree bears good fruit, a freshwater spring produces fresh water. There's evidence that you are God's by 
how you act, your fruit. So I think that's pretty clearly what it's referring to here. So how do we produce this fruit? How do we produce this evidence? Well, Jesus says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you love me, you will do what I say. He says that over and over again in the book of John. So the evidence is obedience to God. We need to do what Jesus said. Well, then the natural question is, what has he said? A lot. <laughs> but I really do believe that it is summed up in those two commandments that people talk about all the time. Love God and love people. Is it more nuanced than that? Yes. But I do truly believe that it goes back to those two things. If you are abiding in Christ, you will have fruit or visible evidence in your life. The evidence for your love of God is your love for others. But the love for others flows out of your love for God. You must be connected and obedient vertically before you can be connected and obedient horizontally. And so question very simply is, is love for God present in your life? Is it present in your worship, in your time in the word, in your prayer, in your quiet time? And then does it flow over into your love for others? Sharing the gospel, praying for them, encouraging them, avoiding gossip, avoiding slander. Even in the language we use when we talk about and to other people. And if your fruit is lacking in one of these areas, it's a sign that we are not abiding in Christ as we should. And Jesus straight up comes out and says this later on in verse 12. My command is that you love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. What's interesting about this is that when Jesus says this, he had not done it yet. He's saying that greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends to disciples that don't fully comprehend that he's about to lay down his life for them. And so I can't imagine what they thought after the cross. This commandment had to take on an entirely different meaning for them because they're like, oh my gosh, Wow, God meant that literally. He laid down his life so that we could have life. And we are supposed to do that for one, for each other. So, let me take all these ideas and put a nice little neat bow on it. Our Lord Jesus Christ has called us to be fruitful. To bear fruit which displays as evidence of our relationship and ownership in him and to him. And we produce fruit by being obedient to the things he's commanded us to do. One of the things he's commanded us to do is to love others. And it's explicitly stated throughout the book of John, and especially in this passage, to love others. However, our ability to do that flows from having a connection vertically with God through our own personal devotional life. So how does it relate back to what I was saying earlier about my own personal fruitfulness? Well, the way that God's given me to love others is through teaching the word. <laughs> That's how God's given me to love others. For someone else, it might be through helping serve in the nursery at church or helping people find a parking spot on Sundays or greeting them at the door. We are loving others through those actions. So we always think of the idea of love as, well, I don't necessarily know if I can sit down and give someone a hug and listen to all their life problems. That may be how you love others, but it may not be. You love others by exercising your gift for the good of the body. So, Examine your own life. Do you see fruit? Are your gifts being exercised for the edification of the body, of those around you? Are you loving others in that way? And then, like I said, are you loving others in the other practical ways by praying, sharing the gospel, 
encouraging all those things also and if not ask yourself this question is my lack of fruit in these areas an indication of a lack of abiding or dwelling in Christ for me the answer was very clearly yes this has been Dave Bethay for the Cellite Podcast that's it for today thank you for listening